All right, so we're continuing with our series looking at the character of God. This is week four. So if you've missed any of the series so far, you can jump back and have a look at it on uh, the podcast, on our website, on Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts, um, you can catch up. Um, but let me just reread to you the verse we've been working through from Exodus 34, verse 6. It says, And he passed in front of Moses, that is God, he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And so this week we're going to be looking at this theme of abounding in love. But before we do that, so I'm gearing up for uh, Christmas and for our carol service. I'm going to give you a teaser. We're going to play a game. I love games. And this game this year has got something to do with balloons. So you can be trying to think about what that might be. Get here. It's going to be very exciting. But my Toby, my youngest, he loves balloons. He absolutely loves them. And I've got a love-hate relationship with them. They bring him joy, so that's great. But they clutter up the house and they sit there forever. And he loves them so much that he will keep them until the inevitable happens. He will just keep them in the house until either they burst, which happened just the other week, uh, to a balloon that someone left in church and he brought home as his own and it stayed in our house for weeks and then finally it popped. Um, or the other alternative is it shrivels down. It begins to leak out air. And so this morning we're going to be talking about love, but what on earth has that got to do with balloons, I hear you ask? If we don't remember, rehearse, revisit or recall the love of God... Like Toby's balloons, we begin to leak. We begin to leak. We begin to almost forget a little bit about the power and the impact and the truth of God's love for us. And so it's why we do our daily devotions. It's why we prioritize church on a Sunday. It's why we get down to life groups. It's the reason that we do all of this stuff to, to top ourselves up, to fill ourselves up again with air, that where there has been leakage in our lives, that we top ourselves back up again to remind ourselves of the truest thing in this world, that you are loved. Turn to the person next to you and say, you are loved. Just in case they've forgotten. You are loved. You are loved. Now I am, you know, I, I've gone through training in theology and so, uh, you know, I've got a lot of this, this book memorized and so I'm just going to demonstrate that to you this morning. This is a verse that's John 3.16 and it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why? Because he so loves you. Because he so loves you. And you know, there's something that changes within us when we realize that we are loved. There's something within us that happens when we grasp hold, when we get, the, when we get reminded of the fact that we are loved. Have you ever received just a, a random text message on a Tuesday morning that says, oh, I was just thinking about you? And that feeling that you get when someone out of the blue sends you a message or someone from, you know, from out of the blue just brings you a gift or, or just calls you up to say, oh, I just wanted to let you know I love you. And you're like, who, me? Little old me. On a Tuesday morning, you were in the supermarket and you were thinking of me. 
It just makes you feel really special, doesn't it? And guess what? That's God all the time about you. He's got your picture in his wallet. He's got that drawing that you did when you were a child that's absolutely terrible pinned up on his fridge. He brags about you because he loves you so much. And guess what? He sent you a text message out of the blue that is filled with his truth that says, I love you. You are loved. And so this morning, my message is called, How Much More? How Much More? We're going to look at three characteristics of God, three passages of scripture, and each one asks this question, how much more? How much more? And so the first one is this. We're going to look at the, our loving Father, and we're going to look at the verse in Matthew 7, verse 11. It says this, So if you sinful people... Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now this is not a verse judging us as parents. This is not judging us as doing a terrible job. Because the, the truth is that whether you are the best parent in the world, you can wear that number one dad badge. You can call yourself the best mom. Whether you go to all the sporting events, whether you attend all the parents' evenings, whether you listen to all of the tales, all of that stuff is amazing. But nothing compares Nothing compares to our loving Heavenly Father. There is no comparison. And you know, the truth is, there is no end to God's love. There is no end to His love. He will never run out of love for you and for me. Can I be honest with you this morning? There is an end to my love. There is an end to my love. Now, I love hosting. We don't do it even nearly enough in our house, but I love having people around and hanging out with people. But the truth is, and I'll let you into this secret, that when we have people around, you know, it's great and it's fun and it's so enjoyable, but have you ever experienced it where after an extended period of time with people who are not immediate family and you're, you're having a great time and there's no shame in that, but then your jaw begins to ache? Because you've got this permanent smile fixed on your face. Because you want to make sure that they feel loved and they feel engaged and they feel connected with. And they sense your joy and your jaw begins to hurt just a little bit from smiling so much for so long. Because sometimes when we're alone and we're in the comfort of our, our own home with the people who know us best, that we just look really miserable because that's how we rest our face. But when you're in the company of people who are visiting your home, you're just smiling and beaming. And when your jaw begins to ache, my love is running out. <laughs> and it's time to go home. <laughs> so if you see me just kind of doing this when you're out for dinner... <laughs> <laughs> Off you go. <laughs> That's not true. So this verse describes one expression of God's love, and I absolutely love it. It describes his generosity. How much more? Do you know, as parents, and it's so true, we love to bless our children. You know, Christmas is coming up, and, you know, we know it's all about God, and it's all about his birth, but there is something so special 
about watching children open presents on Christmas morning and the smiles that come to their faces and the joy that you see on them. And so we as parents, we love to bless our children, to give them good gifts. But this verse says, how much more does God give good gifts to those who ask him? How much more? Because the truth is that God is not stingy. God does not withhold blessing. He doesn't run out of blessings and he doesn't give subpar gifts. Whatever you could imagine is the best gift you could receive. God will give you so much more because that's how much he loves us. So this verse, it talks about God's generosity, but it also says, it says, how much more will he give to those who ask him? So it's talking about him being generous, but it also tells us that he listens. That he listens when we ask things of him. He always listens. He is always listening. He never gets bored or gets tired of listening. He doesn't switch off. He doesn't get that glazed look in his eyes when he's just a little bit tired of what you've been saying over and over again. He doesn't switch off. He doesn't begin to daydream. He loves to listen to what his children have to say. Now, again, as parents, that is one of our jobs. Yes, we should be generous, but also we should listen. You know, the, the saying goes that if you listen to your children talking about the boring stuff, then when they grow up, they will come to you about the important stuff. And I think that's so important. But as a parent, it's hard to listen for two hours about Minecraft. It gets tedious and that glazed look appears on my eyes and I hope that they think I'm still paying attention with my nods and my, mm-hmm, oh wow, hopefully at the right moment. But that's not God. He doesn't get the glazed look. He intently and actively listens to his children when we get on our knees and we speak to him. He is always listening. We may tune out when we're listening to people, but God never tunes out when we're talking to him. He is always listening to our praise. He is always listening to our worship. He is always listening to our intercession. He's always listening to our prayers. But guess what? He is also always listening to our rambling and he's always listening to our moaning and he's always listening to our grumbling because he listens to it all and he cares for you. Because he loves you so, so much. He listens to it all because he's our loving father. And so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? You know, we've all got different experiences of our earthly father. And I don't know all of your stories. We've all got different experiences of of what our dad was like and some are good and some are bad and some are ugly and some were present and some were absent. But no matter what your relationship was like with your earthly father, nothing compares to the love of your heavenly father. There is no comparison. There is no relation. And so if you had a terrible relationship with your earthly father, if he maybe was absent in your life, don't let that dictate 
your relationship with your earthly father. Because he's not like that. He will never let you down. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Or maybe you had the perfect relationship with your dad and you think he is number one dad. And that is so cool. But he is nothing in comparison to your heavenly father. He is nothing in comparison to your heavenly father who is generous in every way. Who is always there to listen who is with you through all and in all, who is for you, who has got you, and who loves you more than you could ever even imagine. So we've got a loving father. And the second characteristic is our loving designer. And we're going to look at a verse in Luke 12, 24 that says this. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, and yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? How much more valuable are you? Are there any twitches in the room? Any people who love to watch birds? I don't, it's not for me. I don't know a lot about birds. In fact, I remember a while ago when when Caleb was little, we were at a gathering with some friends and and my friend is is very much into nature and he's very much in growing his kids up in that. And I remember him speaking to his four-year-old boy on a walk and he pointed at a duck and he said, son, what's that? And this four-year-old boy said, oh, that's a mallard. I was like, what? (laughs) I didn't even know that was a mallard. And this four-year-old boy is like, that's a mallard. I'm like, sorry, Caleb. That's a duck. (laughs) That's for Christmas dinner. (laughs) That's what's going on there. But I got no idea. But, But this verse says, consider the ravens. Just think about the birds for a minute. Consider their lives. God takes care of them. They've got value to him. They've got value to him. His creation is beautiful and it's perfect, but the truth is it's not of equal value because he says, how much more valuable are you? Let's continue to read in that, in that verse. It says, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you can't do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the wildflowers and how they grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Just think of the the common birds. Think of the common flowers, the things that we see day in, day out. So for us, that's the pigeons and the seagulls and it's the daffodils and it's the daisies. Just think of those things that we see day in, day out and we don't really pay attention to and we take them for granted. But look at them. They're not fretting. They're not worrying. They're not stressing. They're not getting anxious about anything. But look at them. They're provided for. They grow They are beautiful. They have worth and they have value. The scripture says that even Solomon, considered to be one of the wealthiest people ever, even he is nothing in comparison to the wildflowers. That's our designer. 
That's our creator. That's the one who made you and made me. And so somehow the birds get it. And somehow the flowers get it. They understand the order of God's design and of his creation that no matter what happens, God's got them. He is going to make them grow. He is going to make them beautiful. He is going to take care of them. Their beauty and their splendor, it sings of God's creation. I love being, you know, going for a walk in the wood or the forest or whatever it may be and just looking at the beauty of nature. It sings of God's glory. It sings of God's glory. And so if they can grasp it, we should grasp it too. And the scriptures say that if we don't get hold of this truth, if we don't understand this principle that God is for us, that he is with us, that he loves us so much that he will cause us to grow, that we, he will make us into something beautiful and that will sing of his glory and his beauty and his splendor. If we don't get that, then the scriptures say that even inanimate, inanimate whatever the word is, objects, will grow lips and vocal cords and begin to sing of his praises. If we don't get it, something else will because that is how amazing and incredible God is. Inanimate. I knew I could say it. Creation understands our designer. Creation sings of God's goodness. And so next time you're out for a walk, Next time you're just taking a stroll, just pause for a moment and look at the birds. Just get down for a minute and, and look at the flowers and how amazing they are. You know, we were driving to school this week and, and Toby looks out the window and he says, Dad, look at this. And it was like this falcon or some kind of bird of prey. And have you seen them when they're in the air and they've spotted their prey and their head doesn't move at all, but their body is kind of counteracting it so they can keep their eye on their prey. And he's like, look at that. It's amazing. And I'm like, yeah, that is amazing. But that is nothing in comparison to you. That is nothing in comparison to you. How much more are you worth to God than the birds or the flowers? How much more are you worth? And maybe this morning that's not resonating with you. Maybe you're thinking, but I'm worthless. I have no value. I have no purpose. I have no place in this world. And oh, if that's you this morning, God is speaking to you. How much more are you worth? How much more value do you have than these things? How can any of us be worthless when we were created by God? He created you. He made you. He chose for you to be here. And he didn't make a mistake. He didn't create you by accident. And he certainly didn't mess up when he was doing that to make you feel worthless or like you don't have value. How much more are you valued? How much more are you loved than all of the beauty in creation? You are full of worth. You are full of value. He loves you. He loves you. You are so loved. You're so cared for. You know, when God finished creating, he'd made the sun and he'd made the moon and he'd made the planets and he'd made the fish and the birds and the animals. 
He'd made all of that stuff and he looked at his creation and he said, it is good. He was so proud of his creation. It sang of his glory and his splendor. But then he made you. And he looked at you, little old you, worthless you. And he said, no, you're not worthless. He looked at you and he said, you are so good. You are so good. You are so good. He is so proud of you. He is so happy that you are here. He is so happy that you are in relationship with him and he longs for more of that. He wants more of that. He wants intimacy with you. You are so loved. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows how many hairs you have on your head. He knows the desires of your heart. And as we've already looked at, when he hears what you want, he wants to bless you with it. Because how much more can he give good gifts to you who ask? He knows you. He knows that you have value. He's got a plan and a purpose for you. He would leave the 99 to chase after you. When you fall over, when you make a mistake, when you mess up in life, he runs after you. He chases you. He, he gets in your space and he reminds you, I love you. You, are, you have worth. You have value. Don't stay in that place of, of, of having messed up and just beating yourself up and, and wallowing in self-pity. He says, no, you have got worth. You have got value. I love you. I created you for a purpose. I placed you here for such a time as this. Get back up on your feet. Fix your eyes on me and let's go and see what we can do together. He is your loving father and he is your loving designer. And the truth is that we're a reflection of him. Let's continue to read on in this verse in Luke. It says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Don't set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Don't worry about it, for the pagan world runs after such things, and your Father knows what you need. But seek first his kingdom, and these things will be added to you as well. Seek first his kingdom. Fix your eyes on him. You know, we don't need to persuade God for some blessings. We don't need to bend his arm behind his back to get what is on our hearts. Because he loves you so much that he wants to bless you in every way. You know, it's his pleasure to bless you. It's his delight to give you good things. It brings him joy. It makes him smile when he gets to bless you. Why? Because he loves you. Because he loves you so much. You know, this world tells us you only get out of it what you put in. And so we work and we strive and we struggle to, to prove our worth and to prove that we have value. But God looks at you. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what your upbringing or your education or your bank balance, none of that stuff. 
And he looks at you and he says, I love you, you have value, and you have worth. I made you. I created you. I designed you. And you are so good. And Jesus said, stop stressing. Jesus said, stop worrying. He said, just look around, just look up, just take a breath, just take a moment, find a bird, find a flower, look at a raven, look at a lily and remind yourself how much more, how much more valuable are you? How much more loved are you? Let's not fret. Let's not worry. Let's not be anxious. There are so many things that we could worry about, particularly right now in this world, aren't there, with all of the news of wars and violence and, and of the, you know, the struggling financial situation and all of that stuff could cause us to, to just fall into this spiraling uh, depression and just get worried and anxious about how we're even going to get through the following year. We could get really caught up in the worries of this world. But God's not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us a spirit of power and of love and a sound mind. He says, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't fret. Don't get anxious. How do we, as followers of Christ, stand out in this world that is full of fear and worry and anxiety? We live a life where we know that God has, is in control where we are not terrified, where we are not panicking, where we are not worried about the state of the world that we live in. Because we know that God is for us and we know that he has got us and we know that he is with us on every step of the way. We've got a loving father, we've got a loving designer and finally we've got a loving priest. We've got a loving priest so I'm going to read to you from Hebrews 9. This is from the message paraphrase. It says, But when the Messiah arrived, the high priest of the superior things of this new covenant, he bypassed the old tent and all its trappings in this created world, and he went straight into heaven's tent, the true holy place once and for all. He also bypassed the sacrifices of goats and of calves' blood, instead using his own blood as the price to set us free once and for all. If that animal blood and the other rituals of purification were effective in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and behavior, think how much more the blood of Christ cleans up our whole lives inside and out. Through the Spirit, Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all those dead-end efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live all out for God. He paid the price once and for all. Those sacrifices of the old covenant all of that blood that was spilt and all of the rules and all of the rituals, that was okay for a time. They did a job for the moment, but how much more has the blood of Christ made us clean? 
You know, the threat of death hangs over all of us. That's a cheery thought, isn't it? The threat of death is, is always there. It's ever-present. But as Christ followers, it's an empty threat. It's an empty threat. You know, I want to live a long and happy life. And I want to be here for many years to come for a whole bunch of reasons. You know, because I want to be with my wife. I want to see my kids grow up. I want to see them get married and them have kids. And, you know, I want to see uh, this, this community, this town, one for Jesus. I want to see all of you living in your purpose for God. I want to see all of that stuff. But the truth is, if I die tomorrow, I'm going home. I'm going home. Death is an empty threat for us. It's an empty threat. But whilst we're here on this earth, while there's breath in my lungs, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God. I'm going to pursue him and his righteousness. That's what I'm going to do with the time that I've been given here on this earth. And that's the reminder of this scripture that we should seek first his kingdom. That we should run after his righteousness, not worry about anything else because he's got that covered. He's got all that sorted out. We just need to fix our eyes on him, run after his kingdom, share his love with the world around us. All we need to do is worry about living a life that honors him. That's the only thing that we need to worry about, that our lives are reflecting his glory and our singing of his splendor. That's the only thing that you and me should be worrying about in this world. That what we do and what we say and how we live and how we love shows people Jesus. That's the only thing that we should be worrying about. And where the world is full of fear, we are full of hope. That's the life that we should be living. Where the world is full of judgment, that we are full of grace. That where the world is full of hate, that we are full of love. That's what matters. That's what matters. All we need to worry about is living a life that points people to Jesus. That's it. We don't need to fear death because our loving priest paid the price. He paid the price for my sin and for your sin once and for all. He's paid the price. His blood was shed once and for all. Because of him, we've been made righteous. We've been made clean. He looks at you and he doesn't see all of your mistakes. He doesn't see all of your blemishes. He doesn't see all of the, the bad stuff. He looks at you. If you have invited him into your life as Lord and Savior, if you have sought his forgiveness and repented of all of your sins, he looks at you and he doesn't see you stained with dirt and sin and darkness. He looks at you and he sees you white as snow, pure, clean, righteous and holy. That's who he sees when he looks at you. Why? Because it look, he looks at you through your loving priest. He looks at you through Jesus who paid the price for you and for me. And so church, can we fall in love again? Can we be filled once again with the love of God? Can we rehearse, remember, revisit and recall just how much God loves us 
Maybe, just maybe, we've been leaking a little bit. And so we just need to get topped up. We just need to get some air back in us to remind us of just how much God loves us. He loves you so, so much. And so let's allow his love for us to inform us and to guide our lives. Let's allow his love to drive us into our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our colleges and our social groups. Let's let his love drive us in to those places so that we can show that love to those who are there. So that we can live a life that is honoring to him. So that we can live in such a way that they see something within us. And they say, I want some of that. What is that? What have you got? That means that you don't fret and don't worry about everything going on in this world. What have you got? And how can I get it? That's what we should be fixed on. That's what we should be focused on. Because the truth is, we're not going to save this world from the church pew on a Sunday. We're going to save this world when we step out into the communities that we live in on a Monday and a Tuesday. And how are we living in those places? Have we left Jesus in the boot of our car? Or are we taking him with us? We need to go and seek out the last, the least and the lost. To be the love of Jesus in those places. He told us to go into all the world. Not to sit. Not to get comfortable. Not to get complacent. But to go. Not to worry about what we'll eat or what we'll wear or what will happen tomorrow or the next day or the next day. But to go into all the world, to make disciples, to baptize people in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go. He loves us so much. And he is pouring that love into each and every one of us. He is filling us up. So that hopefully when we leak, we're not leaking out into the ether, but we're leaking into those around us. And he continues to fill us up and fill us up and fill us up. He loves us so much. And he showed that ultimately, didn't he, through a baby born in a manger. Through a boy who lived a life of obscurity, a a carpenter's son. Through a man who spent three years doing miracles, the likes of which the world had never seen before. And through the life of a man who got nailed to a cross, surrounded by robbers and murderers. Who died a horrendous death. But who spent his life proclaiming and declaring and showing that God is here and he proved that. Not by dying, but by rising again three days later. Having paid the price, having shed his blood so that you and I can be made pure, can be made holy, can be made righteous. So that we can have freedom. So that we can have relationship with our loving Father. That we no longer need to make sacrifices of goats or lambs or pigeons or whatever it might be. Because our loving priest already did it. He's paid the price. He shed his blood so that we can be set free. Why? Because of how much more he loves you. 